This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Welcome to the Warning Radio program. Today, Dr. E.J. Buckhart will be sharing a message, Knowing Him Personally and God Honors Faithfulness. He shared this message in Dr. Hansen's absence as he was traveling October 1, 2016. Now, let us begin. Okay, title of the message today is Knowing Him Personally and God Honors Faithfulness. Lately, for the last few months, ever since I started preparing for Korea, everything spiritual that I've been encountering is knowing Him personally spending more time with Him, and not just having faith in Jesus, but knowing Him and totally trusting Him. And it's been interesting that when I read in Oswald Chamber, and I got a prayer book here, and another article from Gary Wickelson, David's son, and then pastor's messages at the morning prayer that we have, all keeps going back to the importance of knowing Him, and each one of them does it in a different way. In uh, the book... Andrew Murphy, a prayer book, which was given to me, sent to me. Someone bought it and thought I would enjoy it. I have not read it. I'm just going to talk about the introduction. <laughs> and Andrew Murray lived from 1828 through 1917. That was the Earl who ended up in World War I. He died. And he was a pastor in South Africa. And I'm just going to read just a few paragraphs from his preference, which he wrote. During the life of Jesus on earth... The word he chiefly used when speaking of the relationships of disciples to himself was, follow me. And that was Matthew 4.19. Follow me. When about to leave for heaven, he gave them a new word in which their more intimate and spiritual union with himself in glory should be expressed. And that chosen word was, abide in me. First it was, follow me, and now he says, abide in me. And that's John fifteen four. It is to be feared that there are many earnest followers of Jesus, whom from the beginning of this word, with the blessed experience of its promises, is very much hidden. While trusting in their Savior for pardon and for help, and seeking to some extent to obey him, they have hardly realized to what closeness of union to what intimacy of fellowship, to what wondrous oneness of life and interest, he invited them when he said, Abide in me. This is not only an unspeakable loss to themselves, but the church and the world suffer because we have not followed the abiding in him. 
in an inclusion of his preface, he says, I ask to be permitted to give one word of advice to my reader. It is this. It takes time to grow into Jesus the vine. If you know anything about grapevines, when you plant the grapevines, they have to be pruned and they don't give out fruit for a couple years. It takes a while. Do not expect to abide in him unless you will give him that time. It is not enough to read God's word or to meditate here as offered, but when we think we have hold of the thoughts and have asked God for his blessings, to go out in the hope that that blessing will abide. No, it requires day-by-day time with Jesus and with God. We all know the need of time for meals each day. Every workman claims his hour for dinner. The hurried eating of so much food is not enough. If we are to live through Jesus, we must feed on him. We must thoroughly take in and assimilate that heavenly food that God has given us in his life. Therefore, my brother, who wants to learn to abide in Jesus, take time each day, before you read, while you read, and after you read, to put yourself in contact with the living Jesus, to yield yourself distinctly and consciously to his blessed influence, so you will give him the opportunity of taking hold of you and drawing you up and keeping you safe in his almighty life. It is God who keeps you up and safe in your life. We was listening on the radio the other night to Chuck Swindoll, and he's been talking about food, how important food is. If you decide not to eat, your days will come to an end. You need to eat and nourish yourself with food. Now, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, you know, you don't eat him. And you don't drink him, but what he's referring to is the spiritual part of our life. We're physical and we're spiritual. Physically, we need to have food. And we need to have healthy food, not unhealthy food. Spiritually, we need to have healthy spiritual food, not unhealthy spiritual food. We have God's food and we have Satan's food. And depending what we eat spiritually or depending how our life will go. So food is important, both physically and spiritually. And I believe that when Jesus is talking about he's being the bread of life, he's talking about the spiritual needs that we have. And he's saying in here, we need each and every day to follow in his pursuit. Oswald Chambers, uh, the utmost of his highest, his whole devotional is designed, basically, you need to get to know Jesus. Not just know him who he is, and as Pastor gives a football, a lot of people may know who a football player is, like uh, Wilson, but do you really know him? You know of him, you know his name, but he doesn't know you, and you don't know him. And so a lot of people know of God, they know Jesus, they've heard of it, but do they really know him? It says, Lord, teach us to pray, is the title of this devotional. He says, when a man is born from above, that's being born again, The life of the Son of God is born in him, and he can either starve that life or nourish it. In other words, once you're born again, you have the right to feed it or to starve it. It's your choice. Prayer is the way the life of God is nourished. So if you don't have prayer in your life, you're not nourishing your spiritual needs. Our ordinary views of prayer are not found in the New Testament. Our ordinary view of prayer is not found in the New Testament. We look upon prayer as a means of getting things for ourselves. Lord, I need this. Lord, bless me here. Lord, see to it that I can find this job. 
Lord, see it, do I do well in my business, whatever the case may be. We look at a prayer as a means of getting things for ourselves. The Bible idea of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. Ask and you shall receive. We are apologetic or apathetic, but we ask for very few things. Yet, when a splendid audacity of a childlike faith has, our Lord says, except ye become as little children. And little children aren't afraid to ask. They don't care what they're asking for. They'll just ask if they need it. Ask and God will do it. Give Jesus a chance. Give him elbow room. And no man will ever do this unless he is at his wit's end. When a man is at his wit's end, it is not a cowardly thing to pray. It is the only way he can get into touch with reality. It's even atheists when things get tough. God help me! I'm not sure who they're calling out to, but there's something spiritual within them. So when people have a tremendous need and at the wit's end, they will spiritually cry out. Be yourself before God and present your problems. The things you know you have come to your wit's ends are over. As long as you are self-sufficient, you do not need to ask God for anything. America is coming to the point where we have been self-sufficient. We've been blessed. We've had everything basically given to us. I mean, we worked for it, but we became self-sufficient. And we don't look to the Lord as one who gave us all this. It is not so true that prayer changes things. That's a comment out there. Prayer changes things. What he's saying here is it is not so true that prayer changes things, but prayer changes me and I change things. Prayer is not enough. You have to do. Like Pastor says, if I could just pray for all the leaders of the world that I met and not go there, I wouldn't have to go there. But that doesn't work. I've got to go there and meet them and do things. So prayer is not sufficient enough. But I like this when he says, prayer changes me as I change things. Pastor says constantly, over and over in his teaching, pray for yourself that you will do the will of God that he's called you to do. Lay hands on yourself so that you're capable of doing what God's called you to do. Because in and of yourself, you will not do it. I don't care how talented you are, how skilled you are. If God's called you to do something, he's not calling you because of your talents and skill. He's calling you to do what he wants you to do, and he will give you the ability to do it. And that's why he says, lay hands on yourself. And one other one from Oswald Chambers along this line. And this comes from Philippians 3.10. He's talking about a spiritual saint. That I may know him. Self-realization leads to the enthronement of work. Whereas a saint enthrones Jesus Christ in his work. Whether it be eating or drinking or washing disciples' feet, whatever it is. We have to take the initiative of realizing Jesus Christ is in it. Every phase of our actual life has its counterpart in the life of Jesus. Our Lord realized his relationship to the Father, even in the most menial work. Quote, Jesus, knowing that he was come from God and went to God, took a towel, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. A very humble, menial task. The aim of the spiritual saint is that I may know him. Do I know him where I am today? If not, I'm failing him. I'm not here to realize myself, but to know Jesus. In Christian work, the initiative is too often the realization that something has to be done and I must do it. That is never the attitude of a spiritual saint. 
The aim is to secure the realization of Jesus Christ in every set of circumstances he is in, to know him. And now Gary Wilkerson talks about two things, unlimited favor of God, this is blessings, and the ultimate favor of God. And I thought this was kind of interesting. The word favor is often used in the church today. Pastors across America promise people that God is going to favor them. Sadly, what they mean by favor is limited to possessions, positions and acquisitions, a better home, cars and a job, a happier family and a growing income. I do believe God favors people in this way. But there's a danger when we live for this kind of favor at the risk of losing something much greater and much higher. We shortchange ourselves when we live for anything but the ultimate favor. And let me explain. I'm just going to do different parts of this. Okay, now Moses said to the Lord, Please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Moses knew that ultimately God's favor wasn't found in the blessings he provided. It was found in knowing the Lord himself. All of these things speak of God's unlimited favor, his ability to breathe life into any desert wilderness. We all experience his favor in ways too great to measure, our relationships, our health, our work, our school, when we struggle in any area of life or circumstances get too difficult, he sustains us with his soothing presence. God has done things in our lives we never could imagine happened. His unlimited favor has no boundaries. Yet Moses knew something of God that exceeds God's blessings, even his supernatural works. He knew that beyond God's unlimited favor was his ultimate favor. This sort of favor isn't found in things God does. It's found in the Lord himself. As Moses said in many words, Lord, what good are grapes and milk and honey and all the blessings of life if you're not present? It is not that the Christians today aren't grateful for God's blessings. Our problem is that we stop there. We say, Lord, your unlimited blessings and favor is enough for me. But according to Moses in this passage, it isn't enough. We can have the most vibrant marriage, the most beautiful home, the most beautiful, fulfilling job, the greatest kids, but if Jesus isn't in the midst, we have nothing. Are we willing to declare with Moses, Lord, if you're not there, I won't go? If we do, God will answer us the way he did Moses. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. In other words, are we willing to say, Lord, if you're not there, I ain't going. When you pursue God's blessings without seeking God himself, you end up in idolatry because the focus of your pursuit is in something earthen. Paul says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Thankfully, today, most of us do not have to plead for bread or water. We just go to the tap, turn it on, and we got water. Go to the refrigerator, open the door or the pantry, and you got food. Or go to the grocery store if you don't have it there and buy it. But we have golden idols of our own, things we seek apart from God. What are these idols that we seek? And some of these idols are good idols, okay? They're not bad idols. I mean, they're good things. 
They're idle to bad, but let me say that things are good. Job success, financial security, material comfort, those aren't bad things. They're blessings. They're part of the unlimited blessings of God. But if we want them more than we want God, if they become the focus of our life and a pursuit, we have built an idol out of these good things. And God will say to us, go ahead and pursue that. Enjoy it. Don't find me present in it. So stop to think about all the things that we have that we can make an idol out of. And it's like Gary says, they're not bad things. But if we make an idol out of it and leave God out of it, we've made an idol and we are not supposed to have idols. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know, a lot of times we think, you know, the golden calf. That's what the Bible says. You know, they built themselves a golden calf. They took all the gold and made a golden calf. So we think of an idol as a statue out there that someone goes, which they are. I mean, we have them all around the world. But do we make some other things an idol? And that's what he's referring to here. And God says, go ahead and enjoy it. You know, I created all this stuff for you to enjoy. I gave you the mind to develop and invent things. But if these inventions become your goal and your slave, that becomes an idol. So we have many, many idols today in our society. I could go through a few of them, and I don't think I have to. All you have to do is go out to a restaurant and watch the idol. <laughs> hours and hours. <laughs> Ooh, my thumbs are getting sore. Lord says, hey, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. But anyway... Not that there's anything wrong with our inventions, okay? Most inventions are good. They can be used for evil purposes, but they can also be used for good. It's how do we use them, and to what advantage do we have? And do we get to the point where we leave God out, and we're not spending time with the Lord? I love Moses' response. He says, God, kill me in the desert before you leave me to some place that you aren't. I pray this becomes a church's cry as well, quote, Lord, my life has been so blessed that I've let myself get misdirected. My eyes have been on your unlimited favor and on your blessings you give. I want something different. Let my life be defined by your ultimate favor to know who you are. I want to ask you, is God enough for you? Does knowing him satisfy you? Or is there anything that keeps you from that, an idol that you put before him? Remember, the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Knowing God was sufficient for Moses. Rather than going to the promised land, he asked, Lord, please show me your glory. God's ultimate favor isn't the house or the car or the job or your ministry. It is his presence. Let me ask you the final questions, and this will be the closing. What does your heart long for? Is your main dream a financial goal, a material desire? Or is it the hope of God's glory which transforms all of life? Has he blessed you abundantly with his unlimited favor? Yet there's more to know about God's great than earthly blessings? He wants you to know his glorious presence in every realm of life. America has been very well blessed, and for a reason, because they serve the Lord. It was founded on biblical principles. It was founded on Jesus Christ. Like 11 out of 13 colonies, you had to swear that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, even the whole office in the country. Christmas was not allowed. Catholicism was not allowed. 
You know, a lot of things that we take for granted were allowed that now have become traditions, which are man-made traditions and not God's traditions. But this country was based on Christian principles, and God blessed it. He created Israel. He blessed it, but when the people became stiff-necked, got blessed, it's something about goes with blessing. One blessing comes, we forget about the Lord and where the blessings came from. And I can't remember who it was told me, and I've, I've said this about the last three messages I've had, is the man from China who's under persecution in the underground church. When the pastor of the United States says, I'll pray for the persecutor to stop, he says, no. When persecution stops, the church stops growing. Now, that's a little bit hard for us to accept and to understand, but there's a lot of truth to it. When the church is under stress, it grows. And the church in America is coming to that point, I believe right now, where it's going to have to make a stand. And there are some that are starting to make a stand, that make a stand for the Lord. So here's the ending prayer. And this is a prayer for a nation as well, that, you know, the church does awake and takes a stand and we can at least get extension of God's glory. It's kind of like Nineveh. God's judgment was come upon Nineveh because it was America. Totally throwing God out of America. And Jonah went there. He didn't want to go there. He didn't want to pray for these nasty people, this bad nation. But God says, you're going. And even though he did not try to go, he ended up there whether he wanted to or not. And then he got ticked off when the people repented from the king down. Nineveh was saved for 100 years, not because one person repented, not because of the church people repented. And that one is as a whole country repented from the leader to the bottom. And this, I think, is where America is at, that we need to have that type of repentance. Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the Lord says, through the prophet said that you're going to prepare yourself because you're going to die. And Hezekiah went to the Lord and prayed, Lord, and the Lord gave him 15 more years to live. But if you look at that article, what happened to Hezekiah after 15 years? What he did say when the prophet came to him and said, the Lord is going to allow you another 15 years, he says, thank you, Lord, that I am going to be able to have a great life for 15 years, and then the destruction's coming. Selfishness on the part of Hezekiah for those 15 years. If America is going to have repentance, they're going to have to be honest and serve the Lord, not selfishly, but to become a nation who spread the gospel around the world. I mean, Hezekiah knew that the judgment was coming. The prophet told me, after 15 years, the judgment's coming, but you're going to be able to have it nice for 15 years. Thank you. But what about his children and his grandchildren? You know, right now, our concern, like my wife and I, I mean, we're both in the 70s. Grandma's a little bit younger. She's only 86 or something like that. But, you know, our lives, you know, our lives, we're probably still going to be blessed, most likely. But what about our children and our grandchildren if this nation doesn't repent? So we've got to stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about others, which Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself as I have loved you. So the final prayer that Gary has, and I think this is a good one. Lord, show me every idol that prevents me from your presence. Be it sleeping or be it awake. Is my idol sleep or is my idol awake? Oh, Lord. Lord, show me every idol that presents me from your presence. 
Don't let anything, even the good things of life, blind me to you in any way. I won't go anywhere or do anything if you're not there, Lord. So, Lord, you show me, you guide me, you direct me, because I want to go where you're at. I don't want to go out there on my own and stick my neck out because it is not a nice place out there. But if you tell me to go, I will go. And remember last week I told about the little girl. says, I answered, yes, Lord. I don't even know what the question is, Lord, but my answer is yes. <laughs> I will do what you want me to do. I mean, that's the faith of a young child, and that should be our faith. Yes, Lord. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. Very dangerous, because you may end up someplace you don't think you would ever want to go. But if the Lord is with you, hey, you can't be in a better place. And I think we have to learn to understand that. To be in the Lord's presence and where he wants us to be is the best place you can be. You can be working at a deli, you know. You can be going to school. You can be working in a ministry. It doesn't matter where the Lord puts you as long as that's where the Lord wants you and you're willing to be his minister wherever you are at. So, Lord, we want to be where you're at. If you're not there, don't let us go there. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Tune in at this same time, Monday through Friday, on this radio station for the next exciting edition of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.